Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. <sighs> Shit. This is one of those moments I'm sad I don't live in uh, Louisiana because I... I heard the uh, call-in show tonight was uh, raucous. Was it? I don't know, you know, um, I, I, I don't know that for a fact, because I, you know, that's, this is why Tiger Droppings exist, so you can find out, like, exactly, and of course they're going to exaggerate everything, but they did make it sound like it was more than your standard, you know, boring is the coach? That's yeah. How things going. I mean, apparently, people called in and were pissed. <laughs> Which that's not terribly surprising, considering the nature of the loss. Yeah, but it's also like the coach's call-in show. Like normally, yeah. By like, kind of by necessity, it's kind of chill. Like it takes a. I mean, normally it takes a couple of years to really get up to an angry coach's show. <laughs> Do they? Uh, do they screen those calls? They have to. So there's no way they just let any random Yahoo on the air. They're just it's just like Derek Panamsky calling like nine times with different voices. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jerry Kamansky. <laughs> Derek, is that you? No, no. Of course not. Derek who? <laughs> saw the uh, I think Ross or someone was like oh defends Matt Canada I was like really we're already at that we're at that yeah, level you know, of course he defends Matt Canada are you <laughs> fucking kidding me <laughs> like yeah well because yeah it was also like because the one I was reading the thread just because I was trying to keep up of what was going on on the uh, call-in show without you know listening to the call-in show and like someone was just like he, someone called in after the players gave up and he defended his players and that's shameful and I'm like really? <laughs> what do you expect him to say? Yeah. I mean like <laughs> no uh, I think my players are a bunch of pieces of shit <laughs> <laughs> I mean like of course he's gonna defend his players that's the dumbest question in the world like that's why the media doesn't ask questions like that because you can't get a good quote <laughs> yeah that's a terrible question to ask because yeah, there's no win out of it. I mean, yeah, that's why I was like, why doesn't the media ask questions like this? Because the answer is is obvious, and that's all you can print. Isn't you can't print your quote. <laughs> he did get a little. I thought he was a little testy during the Monday. The eating with Ed, I guess we're calling it. Yeah, yeah, he was a he was a little testy this week, which I can understand. He was. Uh, yeah, so apparently he was testy tonight as well. A couple people went after him a little bit. And, don't go after him on the call-in show. That's just mean. Like, 
It's, it's probably because he read your article. Probably, probably he's upset about it. He's gonna, I'm gonna get a sternly word. I'm going to get a sternly worded email. Uh, he's, he's like, once you've lost Poser, you've lost them all. Yeah, once you've lost Poser, you've lost the fan base. <laughs> um, but he hasn't lost, man. That's kind of the whole point of the article. It's, I yeah, I think we should discuss this because there yeah, seems well, to be a, um, a. I was curious if it was just my reaction to it, but it seems like others feel that well, I do. But you seem to feel differently. I think it's. Than I think it's pretty think. much you and you and Jono. And, well, we're uh, the two champions of it, that's for sure. Yeah, it, it was getting Jono, some Jono's one of the few guys I can who is somehow managed to make is always able to be angry no matter what the <laughs> situation it's just always angry and I appreciate the commitment to the bit but okay um I, I think I think you want me to be angrier than I am that might be true <laughs> you, you want someone to rail against and maybe I'm just uh, I, I'm trying to channel my negative energy and I don't want to take it out on the team so I'm just Pointing it to you. Well, it's it's also like not like you haven't made negative tweets. <laughs> like Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> I don't know. Something like something about it felt different than your typical. You're not. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. It just felt different. All right. Well, well hey, I hope we were recording all that. We were. We jumped right into it. So, hi. This is a Sneaky Good Podcast. I'm Poser. That's Dan. We're mad at each other. Uh, not really. We're not really that mad at each this other. This is our last podcast ever. Yeah, this is the last podcast we shall throw down. Um, yeah, we got our asses kicked this weekend. Well, it that was hurt. brutal. Um, yeah, I, I guess we should at least uh, mention some of the game. Uh, you apparently had the good fortune not to watch most of it. Yeah, I saw the first half. You know, you missed the highlights. I mean, the first half, it's weird. I wasn't really nervous during the first half. Me either, really. Like, it was it was a case of where you're clearly like, we're not playing well, but they aren't doing enough to separate themselves until the very end of it. Right. It kind of looked like one of those, hey, this we're just dicking around and, you yeah. know, we'll, we'll take care of it in the second half. And I really think as – what's kind of been lost in the game is I really think the key play of the game was that third and 11. Yeah. Yeah. It was 10 to seven. There was about two and a half minutes left in the first half and it's third and 11 and you're supposed to get a stop on third and 11. Were they in field goal range for that? No, they were like at about the 50. Okay. Yeah. It was too long for field goal range. I mean, they could have pinned us deep with a punt. Yes. But you look at it, and if you get that stop, which if you have the defense that you think you have, you have to get. Yeah. Um, if you get the stop, basically one of three things is going to happen. You're going to go into the ha- you're going to you're going to get the ball back, and then you're going to either drive down the field and be successful and score. You're going to drive down the field and it's going to stall out or you're just going to go nowhere. But the worst case scenario is you're going to be down 10-7 and you're probably going to run out that run out the half. Yep. If you get that stop, it is 10-7 at the half and you haven't played well, but it's really not that big of a deal. Like I still am pretty confident with how things are going. And they didn't even cover the receiver. It, it was a totally blown coverage. 
Yeah, those late-breaking out routes were destroying our secondary. I mean, this was not the defensive back fell down or there was a confusion, like, you know, hey, pick up this guy. If you watch the replay, yeah, he just goes out for a pattern and no one ever picks him up. It is a it is a total coverage bust. Like it was like they never even considered he could be running a route. It goes for like 25 yards. And then Mississippi state's the team that takes that nice two and a half minute drive. And then they score with seven seconds left in the, in the first half to go up 17, seven. And that's a totally different ball game. Cause state gets the ball first. And that was the first time that play too was the first time that I was like, uh, we're going to be in for a long night. Yeah. As poorly as we had played, it was still like we were kind of hanging tough. You know, it was like, oh, we're making some mistakes, but we're hanging in there. I totally agree. And I, it was seven. Uh, they go into the half 17-7, and they come out. And honestly, they come out. They do the kickoff. State runs two plays, and they get a little bit of yardage. But it's like third and four, third and three. It was something manageable. Mm-hmm. And um, they get the stop on third down. And that's when it was a late hit to the head, 15-yard penalty. And that was pretty much the last we heard of LSU in the game. <sighs> yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people are mad that it was targeting. Um, I'm not really going to get into the particulars whether it's targeting or not. The hit was late. Um, so even if he doesn't deserve an ejection, he probably deserved a 15. You're going to get a 15-yard roughing the passer on that pretty much every time. If you hit – if you hit a quarterback up high when he's in the grasp of another player and he doesn't have the ball anymore, you're going to get flagged and there's no reason for that hit because the other guy's bringing him down anyway. Yeah. Like, it was just – of all the multitude of dumb penalties and stuff, that was the situationally the worst. And also I felt that was the moment where LSU kind of threw in the towel because even for the rest of the drive, they showed no life. They finally stepped up. I think they only got a field goal on that drive. But the second half, LSU showed no life whatsoever. And it seemed like a team that was still obsessed with things that had happened before. Like they couldn't they couldn't get out of there. They couldn't move on in their headspace. Yeah, that's probably true. And I, I, that's really what irritated me the most in the game. And it's, you know, you're, you're going to lose big game. You know, you're going to lose games. Sometimes you're going to come out flat. But it was the fact that they they put up no fight in the third quarter. And that's when State was in route, on route, I think, the scoring on six or seven consecutive possessions. It was fairly silly. And LSU was going three and out on almost all of them. But there was just no, you know, there was no fight in the team. And it seemed like they were still bitching about, you know, a first quarter pass interference call. And, yeah, it was a bad call. Whatever. Bad calls happen all the time. And you just have to overcome that stuff. And also, it's just it's just one play. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like that's sort of – I feel like you saw all the hazards of a young team – Unfolding, And I know I'm not saying this is like a totally young team because there are some veterans, but a lot of our leaders were sort of, I mean, Richard Lewis is based on everything we've read and heard. One of our leaders, you yeah. know, and he's on the sideline. Um, yeah, he's hurt. So um, Devin White, who played his ass off, 
I think he had a great game. He's the one guy that was sort of excused from from the beatings. Um, you know, he, I think he did what he could. But then you I have, think, like, your secondary. I don't know. Like, John Battle, I guess, is supposed to be the leader in the secondary, and he didn't play well. Yeah, I, I think Christian Lockature, he had nine tackles. I think only two of them were sold. But he had as many as White. He was having a good – for a defensive lineman, that's a ton of tackles. Yeah, a lot of he's people just, were shitting on him. And I'm like, you know – He's just not – He's just not as good. You know, he had a great game for him, yeah. if that makes any sense. Like, he was playing his ass off. Like, I have no problem with a guy who gives total effort. He just doesn't suddenly become Arden Key. Right. Um, so I think when we say that, every, you know, no one's um, immune from the gassers and it was just Devin White, it's a good joke. But I would also exclude number 18. He... He he played really hard in that game, and he was in on a lot of the tackles. So that was a guy, that was a guy who kept the fight up. And honestly, that's your you know long term senior. He's wearing number eighteen. That's the guy you want to be showing fight. So I like to see that. Yeah, I kind of I felt disheartened that I saw a lot of people really talking down on him and Gilmore too. And I'm not saying Gilmore played a great game, but like the defensive line was so depleted. Those guys played like. I don't know what their play count was, but I bet it was like 80-something snaps. Like, that is way too many. Yeah. The, it's like, at some point, their best efforts aren't going to matter because they're just going to be flat exhausted. Yeah, and... Which showed, you know, as the game went on, they wore out, and State started getting more and more chunk plays and kept us on Yeah, that, field, that third you know? quarter just... It, it's, it started bad and got worse. And it just seemed like a team that... If they had a thought bubble, it was like, well, we should have had that touchdown, so this game should be close. You know, we should be ahead right now, and, you know, we shouldn't be playing from behind. And it was like they could never get out of their their own way on that. And then it was sort of like on offense, guys were trying to score two touchdowns on one play. And that's where you have Gage made a terrible drop. Mm-hmm. Um Chark uncharacteristic. The game was out of hand at that point, but Chark uncharacteristically dropped, dropped the ball that – if it's thrown perfectly, it's a touchdown. It wasn't thrown perfectly, and it would have been a big gain. Um, I, I thought Etling was pretty bad. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he, I, he didn't have a whole lot of time, but still, you complete less than 50% of your passes. You had a bad game. That's um, what I, that's what, that was what I kept coming back to is people were like, well, it wasn't really his fault. I'm like, uh, it's hard to be that bad. <laughs> like, and, and, and there's also the thing that like Darius Geis didn't play the fourth quarter again. And I know he was nicked up and he's not going to play this week, which is another thing we'll get into. But it's sort of like Geis and Key are the stars of the team. They're the two guys. This is how the team goes. And if you look at it, Key's, Key's been out for the first two weeks and that's okay. And he kind of had a – he had a half game against Mississippi State. Now, I've got no problem with the effort he put forth. In fact, I think he played more plays than I think he was expecting to. Yep, absolutely he did. But Geis has been taking off the fourth quarter every game, and I know some of that's to preserve him. But he's not busting out big runs. It's not like when Fournette would be taking the fourth quarter off because he had a, you know 200 yards already. Yeah. yeah. Geis was taking the fourth quarter off when he had 70 yards rushing, and that's – I don't know. I feel it's a disappearing act of your best player. Yeah, he seems um, he seems off a beat right now. Like I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's adjusting to the offense. I don't know if he's you know thinking NFL and got that whole like timid. But like guys has always run yeah. just dare I say recklessly. Like he's just like yeah. aggressive and goes after it. 
And this year he just looks a little more. I don't know. He just doesn't look like Darius Geis. Yeah, but, yeah. There's he's no, not bad, there's, but he just doesn't look like himself. There's none of that explosion. He yeah, he just looks like he looks like a guy right now. Yeah. He looks like a really good player, but like right now when he's out, I see more effort out of Daryl Williams. Yeah, like Daryl Williams is trying to make himself an NFL pay, player. Like that's what you see. And um, yeah, I've been more impressed. And also Williams is getting more yardage. I, that touchdown that he scored was the best play of the game. And also I like that it came after another bad call. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. You know, when there was the, you know, touchdown taken off the board and then two plays later, Williams was just like, no, you know, fuck you. I'm scoring on this one. You know, take this away. Yeah. Um, so there, they showed some fight there and that, I think that was what was contrasted the second. That's what made the second half so painful is that the second quarter, they did show fight and it seemed like they threw on the towel. Now, I don't expect Ed to throw the team under the bus on his call-in show. That's ridiculous. But it did seem like the team stopped giving a hundred, you know, stopped giving a hundred percent midway through the third quarter. Yeah. You know, it's just tough. Like you got young guys and, Shit unravels and it just happens, you know? And I think that's my big the only thing I feel comfortable taking away right now is that they played really badly. <laughs> so yes. I don't know what that means for the future or anything. I just know that on that night they played terribly. And, you know, the effort looked bad, the execution was obviously bad, the coaching looked bad. Like it was a it, it was an all around shit house effort. It was sort of the nightmare scenario for for Orgeron. Like, if you had questions about the Ed Orgeron hire, which I did, like, this is, you know, every problem you had with the hire in one game, crystallized in one game. Now, that doesn't mean that's going to be like that for all time, but that's not your the, the first impression you want to make. Sure. And I don't count the other games as first impressions because yeah. I don't care – about what you do against BYU. I just don't. Um, I care what you do. You know, SEC season, this – if you said going into the season, okay, what is, you know, Ed's biggest problem? It's like, well, I don't know if he can make adjustments. You know, when things are going bad, I don't know if he has the coaching acumen to say, okay, here's my plan. I've been punched in the face. What's my plan? You know, mm-hmm. how do I change my plan? Um, and there was no no real adjustments made in the game. So that's the thing. And the other one is that he's an emotional coach and he gets people up on this big high. That's his I mean that's why he was hired, is that he can, you know, he hypes you up and he gets you, you know, amped up and you're playing on that edge. If you once you lose that excitement, can he still coax performance out of people? And he couldn't. So those were like the two biggest question marks of his coaching style. And they both came to a head in his SEC opener. And that's that is a terrible sign. Now I don't that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to you know that doesn't mean he's doomed going forward, but that's the ex- those were the two big questions and his first answer was bad. Yeah, I think I guess where I diverge from you is that I mean you said it's a terrible sign and that's where I don't I don't know yet. I just don't feel like I know what it means. I think we it's your first it's the first quality opponent we played. It's on the road. At a loud place, against a very motivated team, underdogs trying to prove themselves. You know, they were shit-talking before the game. Like, they clearly yep. had a, something to prove. A lot like Florida coming to Baton Rouge last year. Like, they had something to prove. Um, you know, we just did not 
We did and, not respond you know, well. And we came out flat in the Florida game. You know, when we're, yep. you know, and also the Florida game is one that still kind of sticks with me. Not just as we came out flat in that game. It's still the last play of that game when you, know, you call timeout on fourth down. They run the play to win the game and the quarterback and the running back think the play go go in opposite directions. Yeah, there's no excuse. No, I don't know which one of them was wrong. But the thing is, that can't happen after a timeout. And that goes to the head coach because those guys need to be on the same page. Yep. Um, and look, he's not, he was not hired because he's an X's and O's master. That's not – you know, that wasn't the line on the resume. That isn't what got him hired. What got him hired was, well, the emotional bit of it but also that, hey, I'm going to hire – you know, the guys who are these X's and O's experts. Yeah. And Dave Miranda has, has a track record that I don't think anyone in town is all that worried about though. This is kind of similar to last year where it took a while for the team to ramp up. Yep. Or, you know, they just weren't good coming out of the gates. And so I'm willing to spot Aranda that because we saw this exact kind of performance last year where it took him a couple of weeks to figure out what he had, and then they turned into a ruthless killing machine. So I'm big on the track record of that, and he's done it at Wisconsin as well, so I'm not really worried there. Honestly, I'm not that worried about Canada either. I mean, he's performed wherever he's been, and it wasn't like there was bad play calling in the game. It was just that the game got so far away from them so quickly. The play calling didn't matter. Well, yeah. I mean, this this gets back to why I have been repeatedly, like, I guess you could say critical of Etling, is that this is just not the type of game that Danny Etling is going to win you. If you're going to get into a hole, Danny Etling is not going to throw you out of that hole. Like, he no. just doesn't have that... Like Danny Atling is going to keep you out of a hole. That's what his game is. Like he's going to keep you neck and neck, close. He's not going to make mistakes. He's not going to throw an interception. He's not going to do something stupid. Uh, he's just going to be pretty level. And you know, it got into a hole anyways. I don't think it was necessarily because you know it got into a hole for why, why ever. And it just wasn't going to be overcome with his style of play. Like, and I don't think trying to be like the way the line was playing, like saying, okay, well, we're going to just drop back and throw 60 passes, it wasn't going to make the game any better. Also, the one successful drive was all run plays. Yeah, exactly. I think, and if you look at how Canada has called, it, it, it's more revealing of how Canada called the previous two weeks. I think he knows where the strengths of the team lie. Yep. I mean, he's seen them practice. You know, he's the guy who's come up with the game plan. He knows when push comes to shove, this is a better running team than a passing team. Absolutely. And as much as there's been, you know, a PR campaign to talk about how we're going to open up the offense and, you know, we're going to go, you know, wides and stuff. And I would like to see some opening up of the offense. At the end of the day, if you're better at running the ball, run the ball. Yeah, Do what you're good sure. at. You know, it's something that I've harped on for years. I don't care if they how much they throw or how much they run. I want it to work. Yeah, and that's what Canada always – every time people ask him about what his offense is – He's like it's one that scores points. I do it works. Yeah. Like he's not he's not married himself to a system, to a style, to a ratio, to anything. He just says I do what scores points. So yeah, I mean I think there's an it, you bring up an interesting debate because this is something I've been thinking about all week because a lot of people are hot and heavy on oh and I get it. He's the head man. It's the CEO model. Any like any CEO would take the bullets. That's his job. But 
you get into the delegation question mark of how much is he delegating and to what extent is he responsible for that? Like if it's out of hand, you know, like how much does that go to him? How much does it go to the coordinators? Was the game plan just bad? Was something going wrong? Were they not coaching them up on the sidelines? Were the players just out of it? Like, I don't know. Like that's a hard, it's a hard thing to measure. Yeah. And it's, it just got away from, it got away from him and then it got away from the players. And it was one those drops in the se- in the second half, they wouldn't have made a difference, both maybe the gauge drop because the game was still in hand at that point. But Charks was also pretty bad. And those are plays they normally don't make. I mean, they normally make those plays. They don't drop balls that are that on the money. Yeah. And it just kind of shows that no one's head was in the game. Like in the third quarter – and it, they make those plays in the first quarter. It's the third quarter when things had started to go bad – or the thing Orgeron needs to, to get in his repertoire is keeping the team focused when things struggle. He's great when everything's going well, when everything's clicking, when his plan's working, no problem. Everybody stays high and he, you know, and he's fun. Like, you know, the Missouri game last year is the best example. He put the you know, he put the pedal down, and everyone had a great time, everyone's high five on the sideline. Um, but he needs to work on when things aren't working at a hundred percent. And coming from behind and that's kind of the worry is like what will he do now I don't think it's unfair to look at his track record um, but also I don't think that dooms him that he can't succeed and I think this is one of the big points I've made every coach currently in, in the top 10 every coach of a top 10 team right now had a terrible loss in their first year except for Urban Meyer Mm-hmm. Every one of them, and some of them worse than other. And you know, two of them lost to Maryland, yeah, which is kind of funny. So one loss does not; it doesn't make a season, it doesn't make a career. And I think one of the big things is is that Les Miles didn't lose big that often. I, I think we came down that he's only he only lost two games by this kind of margin in his entire career. Yeah, I have thoughts on that too, but go and, on. You know, and one of the things is just the style of play. But yes. he did, so we're not used to getting pantsed. Yes, that's We're really just true. not used to it. But at the end of the day, yes, it only counts as one game in the standings. So I think the big thing is how does the team react to all this? Because, you know, look, they live in town. They're hearing everybody. They go to class. You know, they can hear everyone on campus. I'm sure they can hear the radio show. They can log on to the internet. They know what's being said. They're not, they're not dumb. <laughs> and really, I think the Auburn game becomes really critical. And also it comes critical from a fan standpoint. What's tiger stadium going to be like? Yeah. You know, because one of the things that Nick Saban used to always complain about when he first got to LSU was the catastrophe syndrome. One thing goes wrong and everyone goes, ah, oh. yeah, exactly. And this team, it's one thing that they sort of played like the catastrophe syndrome on the road with a young team. That's understandable. The question is, is does that happen at home against Auburn? Yeah. And and, and that'll be something where the the team will will feed off the crowd's reaction. Guaranteed. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, I think it – like you said, it's one loss, you know, like – the example I went to a couple times this week is Florida State lost by 43 points to Louisville last year. 
And if you really think Louisville was 43 points better than Florida State last year, then God help you. I don't know. But, you know, it happens. It happens to good teams. Florida State was a really good team last year, and they got pantsed, as you said. Yeah. So it's just – it's the same thing we talk about with the, the Bama loss every year. Like, don't let it beat you twice. And I don't think it's going to let them beat it twice, you know, this week because we play a very inferior team or next week because we, again, play an inferior team. But they can't let it linger and stick with them and be like, man, we totally, you know, they can't live on that game. It happened. It's over. Move on. Yeah, I I think that's right. There's going to be some lingering thing, and that's one of the things that kind of sucks about the schedule all of a sudden where you don't get right back up and play another SEC team. Yeah. So there's going to be two weeks of this talk regardless because no matter what you do against Syracuse, no one cares. Yeah, it's not going to change anybody's perception. And look, Troy can play some football. Yeah. We're going to struggle a little against Troy. We're probably going to beat Troy, but it's not going to be a 30 to nothing thrashing. So that's going to bring out every question again. So just in advance, I'm telling you right now, LSU is going to struggle to beat Troy. They'll beat them, but do not panic. That's because Troy is pretty good, and they're a frustrating team to play. And they have a really good young coach. Yeah, and that's going to cause everyone to go, you know, lose their fucking minds the week going in to the Auburn game. Yeah, I agree. And so you can't say, hey, look, on the one hand, am I worried about – I'm not really worried about Ed Orgeron, to be honest. I, I – I think he's going to be fine. I don't like the whole thing where we've said, oh, he learned his lesson. Time does not prove that you learned a lesson. And he was never a coordinator that always made me nervous. Um, That he's basically been a position coach after failing spectacularly as a head coach. That clearly makes me nervous. And I don't think his interim job, I don't think he did a great job. He did a good job, but he wasn't great. What worried, my bigger concern is the administration of LSU in general. I just – I feel like right now we feel like mini Texas where there's just too many boosters that have too much power and there's too many chefs in the kitchen. And eventually we need a head coach that has the authority and it honestly it needs to be Edo. I mean I would love if Edo can do this where he can assert his dominance over the program in a way that first Saban did and then carried over to Miles where it's like no I'm the guy running this ship you know everybody mm-hmm. else you pay for tickets we appreciate it you donate stuff you know your fans you're the lifeblood of the program but I'm the guy who in charge I make the decisions and right now I get the feeling that too many people are pointing in too many directions and he's listening to too many guys and it's hard to shut them all out right now and we just kind of feel rudderless as a program at an administrative level. I think that's where the rot is, not really at the coaching level. See, and that's where I feel like it – this is where I feel like we get into maybe the overreaction scenario because it is just one admittedly terrible game. Like, I don't know. I just don't know what direction it is. And a lot of this stuff can't be answered and won't be answered because Ed is not going to come out and, like, fucking say – <laughs> like the, the real truth, right? Like he's. Like, oh yeah, of course not. The, the things they say behind closed doors in coaches' meetings to players in practice, like we're not going to hear that shit. We and, so, yeah. and we don't really know. I guess what I'm trying to get at is that the real judgment of him will be how he, if he understands what the issues were and adequately addresses them. 
or if he's just like, well, we just played bad, move on. You know, like, you know, there are things to be addressed and clear, like penalties, for example, it's three weeks running. And it gets talked about in the media relentlessly, but knowing there's a problem and knowing how to fix the problem are two different things. So uh, those are the questions I have that he's got to answer those things. I liked that in his um, radio show today that he was willing to say, we're probably going to be running, you know, keeping six and seven guys back in protection. Yeah. You know, we're going to run less plays on offense. Yeah, we're going slower. Yeah, like those are things that people don't want to hear and he's telling them that. And I actually like that because that does show that he's asserting himself as the guy in charge, that he's not just trying to be a people pleaser. But that also gets back to to the thought of having is like how much is he delegating? Is that Ed going and looking at the film and saying we need to do this or is that Ed going to Matt Canada and saying what the fuck happened? What do we do to fix it? You know, at, at that point, the distinction is academic. As long as it happens, who cares? Sure, I, I totally mean, agree. But the only reason I bring that up is because everyone is blaming O for it, and so it'd be you know, like if you're in this sort of triumvirate of leadership where they're all sort of, I don't, I don't know if I'm making sense, but it's like <laughs> how much blame goes to the coordinators? Obviously, he's the CEO; he's going to publicly take the bullets, of course. But it's an interesting dynamic that. We want to put it all I on think, his feet. And the, I think at the end of the day, it's the, he's the head coach. He's the guy who takes he, he's the guy who takes the bullet. Of course. Um, but when I was saying that, there has been other instances of like institutional. I hate to use rot, but just institutional confusion at an administrative level before this game. Yeah, and that's you know, that's kind of what I'm getting at with Levi. Like, I think they botched just the whole hiring process was bad. They how they hired the defensive coordinator um, two years ago, you know, before they did Oliva. You know, this how Orgeron and Steele came on board completely botched that. I mean, that was just a bad. They ran that process poorly. Mm-hmm. They they got a great basketball hire now, but the one before was terrible. And also that was one where they were just trying to please the boosters. It's like, oh, well, he has a connection to Dale Brown, so everything's going to be fine. Like it was a real, you know, oh, well, it's family. They fell into the Beth Tarina hire, which has worked out great for softball. But the actual process of that hire was terrible. Yeah, I think that's where where I'm worried about. like, Like I always have kind of defended Oliva on the grounds of no one likes the accountant. And his yeah, job is yeah. to extort money out of us. But at the same time, he has been rudderless in his leadership. And his biggest job is to hire you know, is the hire the coaching staff. And if you look at the process of those hires, he has done a poor job on almost all of those. And yes, I know he's not the only voice in the room, but he's the only person who's been involved in all of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the constant. Yeah, that's an interesting dynamic. I mean, I don't know what all goes into that, you know, as far as boosters and board members and the president and all, yeah, all no, of that it's, stuff is, you know, a tough. I agree it's a hard job. He's got a, you know, he's trying to herd cats. I'm not defending no, Oliva either, by the way. No one wants to hear it. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, that is his job. Like, his job is to keep the boosters in line and to keep the, pre, you know, be in cahoots with the president basically and to keep all these you know ships in there we've had just some in, even the, just how they handled the firing of Les Miles it was embarrassing how they did that they just 
they go in one direction and then overcorrect. It's like they're like the fool in the shower. Do you use an economics, you know, a term for your economics textbook where they're just, you know, they're overcorrecting way too much and they just don't. There doesn't seem like there's a coherent plan in charge or confidence in the plan. And that is not Ed O's fault, but he is the symbol of that problem right now. Then again, and I will go back to it, it is one game. And again, every coach in the top 10, except for Urban Meyer, terrible loss in their first year. And now they're a top 10, you know, a coach of a top 10 program right now. So. There is nothing debilitating. Not only is it not debilitating to lose badly in your first year, it's common. Yeah. And I think that's what I kept trying to direct people to because – and I'm not I'm not throwing fire at any journalist here. Like, of course, every journalist is going to write about the big, bad, historic loss. But like, OK, you know, it happens. So it's a game and it was one game. And we, I just don't feel like, as fans, as writers, as whatever you want to call us, we all rush to make meaning out of these things, and usually too quickly. Good oh, and sure. bad. Good and bad. Um, you know, I, I was very high on the team before this game. So I guess for me, I'm like, I'm not going to let this one terrible performance completely derail my thoughts. Like, I still think this is a pretty good team um, that just let one get away. Yeah, and that's kind of my thing is I don't like the excuses that come up afterwards and say, oh, well, we're not that good. You know, we don't have this. We don't have that. No, like we we were talking this before the game. We were said, look, LSU would not trade – forget trade rosters with Mississippi State. There's almost there's almost no player on the state roster that LSU would take over their current starter except for a few examples. Yeah. You know, Simmons being, you know, probably first and foremost amongst them. Yep. They have a talent advantage – and lost the game. And okay, yes, that does point to coaching. So I was kind of going the opposite of my point. But really, what I'm trying to say is that I don't like us then turning around and making the excuse, oh, well, really not that good. You know, oh, oh we, yeah. you know, we have too much youth. I don't like the excuse. I don't like trying to backpedal and trying to say, oh, well, you know, what, you know, what did you expect anyway? Well, the reason we hired Ed O was because of continuity. We were like, hey, this program's in a really good place you know we have a ton of talent this won't shake things up too much we can you know we're not going to have that big huge loss and i think that's where the criticism comes from from me is that i don't want this to be for us to say well we don't have any offensive linemen well part of the offensive line depth they left on his watch so he's still on the hook for that like that's a it's fair game to criticize him for that but at the same time he's got a phenomenally talented roster i mean it's not alabama's but no one has alabama's roster this is still one of the most talented rosters in the country and there's no reason that he can't turn around and win you know six or seven sec games this year you I mean, you look at the year where you know, to compare it to the the most obvious comparison is the 2014 Auburn game, where you know you lose 41 to seven and you're 0 and 2 in the SEC, and people were talking, oh, we're not going to win a game for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Like, I, don't see, I don't see a win on this run. You know, I don't see a win for the rest of the year. The team went four and four. They went four and two for the rest of the year. That's what I expect out of Ed O. Like you need to look. I, I once again, I will spot you the Bama game. 
Like Bama is better than we are right now. Yeah, and honestly, if you look at the schedule ahead, losing to Mississippi State to me didn't change my impression of the schedule ahead. Like Florida is not good. If you watch Florida Tennessee, it was a terrible game. That was an game. awful game. Just they, an awful game. When we play both of them, and they're both really bad. Like they're just not good football teams. Auburn has not looked good. Auburn, Auburn is disappointed totally. Though I will say their Clemson loss looks a little bit better because they held Clemson yep. pretty close, just like last and, year kind of thing. Yeah, and Clemson is a really—I mean, we knew Clemson was good, but Clemson looks really good. But yeah, I think the problem is that LSU is playing two of its toughest games right off the shoot for the SEC. Um, but they're playing Auburn at home. But other than that, everyone in the SEC looks looks terrible. Just, just god awful right now, or at least the teams on our schedule. I wish that Florida game was before the Auburn game now. Um, yeah. Just because I feel like that'll be an easy game to get the guys focused for. And Auburn should be too. Obviously, it's fucking Auburn. But Yeah, yeah fuck Auburn. You know, with the, all of happened in the last year, and Ed wasn't the head coach when we played Auburn last year, but he was during Florida game. You know, there's just I think it'll be an easy game for him to channel emotion and focus for. Like, they're going to want to go to Gainesville and prove a point. So... If they don't, you know, that opens more questions. But yeah, and look, the Auburn I don't game think, is Auburn's a better team than Florida, so it's going to be. Look, I don't think the goals change. I think, look, you know, I said the standard is we fired a coach for not winning ten games routinely. Ten game, you know, winning ten games is still as long as it's on the table, it's the goal. You win ten games, you've had a successful season, mm-hmm. and. It's now more difficult. There's less. There's no longer a room for you know margin for error. Yeah, I think that that game was one that we kind of had counted on to be a, a win. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. Like, and it doesn't mean the goals out the window now. It's not like oh well, now we're gonna suddenly lose to you know now we're suddenly gonna lose to Arkansas. Yeah, like no, no this team has the talent to. They will st- LSU will probably still be favored in every game remaining on a schedule except for the Alabama game, and now maybe the Auburn game. Yeah. So I think you can be – you can have questions about the coaching staff and be like, uh, you know, I think it's it's all right to be like, uh, I'm not entirely sure what's – you know, what to expect. But at the same time, I don't think you lower your expectations. You're like, this is still a really good football team, and they need to play like it. Absolutely. There's plenty of time to rectify the season. <laughs> like way, way too much time. Yeah, so. like you know, and this is kind of going the opposite way of you know 2015, where the team rushed out to what seven and zero. Yep. And then lost four, you know, lost three or four in a row. And actually, that was something that did irritate me. Like I did like Cody's piece because it did put a, um, it, you know, it, it was just a running of stats. Like here, here's you know, contextualizing the loss. Sure. But only using the last four games of 2015 is just such a cheap trick. Yeah, it really is. I mean, half seasons don't count. Like, it's the full season. And the end point was specifically chosen to include a three-game losing streak and exclude a four-game win streak. Like, that's that's not, you know, that's not convincing to me. That is clearly manipulating the numbers. Yeah, and that, it, on that same note, not quite to that level, but like the whole Marcus Spears mediocre thing. Like we talk about this all the time in the data pieces we write, but arbitrary endpoints are stupid. And I didn't yeah. even get into it into my piece because I just 
feel like that's an assumption at this point, but like starting at 2012 was just like, you're clearly trying to say something. Like you're trying to just call the numbers to make your own point. And yeah. Oh, by the way, you didn't even do it well. So like, and, and that's sort of my thing. I was, oh, you want to start in 2012? And honestly, that's kind of a fair starting point. You yeah, know, it's, I, it's got, now, I got it's, it. Yeah. It's a five-year look back, but okay, but let's do a five-year look back. Like, and yeah, I don't like it specifically choosing, you know, you can say this is what LSU has been since winning the national title. That's not so much arbitrary as like, this is what you're trying to show. But when you start lopping off seasons and like, you know, trying to parse through games and stuff like that, you're, you're, you're cutting the cheese way too thin. You know, you're, you're not trying to be honest. You, you started with a, you know, it's once again, it's the old thing of that. You're not using, using stats like a drunk uses a lamppost for support, not illumination. <laughs> nice. Not uh, my, <laughs> I appreciated that Spears took the time to reply to me. Um, I wasn't oh, yeah. about to get into a debate with a, one of my favorite LSU players of all time and B a guy who I think was kind of just doing a job, but whatever. Yeah. Um, but like his response to me was basically, well, we just disagree. And I'm honestly like disagree with what? Like, it's OK to say you're wrong on the Internet. So just say you were wrong because you were wrong. Like, that's all. The numbers clearly do not support what you were saying. That's all. That was the yeah. end of it. Like, or you don't know what the word mediocre is. And it, I, I know people got into this whole like, well, he was saying mediocre compared to uh, Alabama. I'm like, well, then that's he should have said mediocre compared to Alabama. <laughs> like, he didn't say that. But also, that doesn't, that's not even a sentence that makes sense. <laughs> no, it is not. You, you can't be mediocre compared to one thing. No. You know, well, this song, you know, this music is mediocre, you know, mediocre compared to Beethoven. You know, like, that's that's a meaningless statement. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. That's That basically says more about the thing you're comparing to. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's basically a way of saying that Alabama is awesome or Beethoven is great than really an indictment of that. And also, I don't This is still a team that has been – has this is something also I hit on in my piece today. It's like this has been a consistent – winning program that hasn't really even been close to a losing season. No. You know, in 17 years, just there hasn't even been a, Oh my God, you know, we just got this one in under the, you know, got this one in under the line. Like it has been comfortable. Like how good this and consistent. And I don't think people appreciate just how good we've been. They do not. Well, and I've used the analogy of like, we've been so steady. Good that I think it angers people because we've had years of supposed greatness and I get it. We're not talking about disappointment here. If you want to get into yeah. disappointment and underachievement, I'm not saying we're not doing those things. We have yeah. underachieved, but when you start saying the words mediocre, that means yeah. middle of the pack and it does not yeah. apply here. We have been yeah. in the top 25 every year. We're a good team. It's sort of like I said last year, I think last year's team was the most disappointing LSU team of my life. Yeah, easily. Okay, maybe. I wouldn't say easily because there's still the uh, team that started top 10 and finished 3-8 and eight or 4-7. Okay. and seven. Okay. Okay, that, So there's competition, but not much. But that team was national title good. Yes. Yeah, I, I will go to my grave on this one. Last year's team, national title talent, and they won eight regular season games. Won a bowl game, got to nine, so that's nice, but they weren't really competitive for they were two and two 
four weeks into the season and fire their coach. That is the most dis- – and you were kind of playing out the string for the rest of the year. Yep. That is the most disappointed I've ever been in a football team. Like it was just – and also you look at the four games they lost. It was what? By like a combined 15 points or something yeah, like 15, that? 15, 16 points, something like that. Yeah, I mean like this Three was not – were on like last second drives? Yeah, they – Basically, LSU played four close games last year and lost all of them. I mean, that is just some shit luck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just – and that's how football goes. I don't I don't mean those losses don't count, but that's why that that team was actually better than its record. Um, this year will not go down unless, you know, the wheels totally come off. This year will not go down as disappointing. It was a hopeful year, but it, I didn't go into this year like, you know, we're going to win the national title. No, I don't think anyone reasonable did. Yeah, I mean, you went into the season going, hey, if everything breaks right, we could be really good. But let's let's wait and see. Yeah, I thought if everything went the right way, we'd win 11. That was yeah. kind of my baseline of great. Yeah, you know, yeah. and so, yeah, I think you can be disappointing and not be mediocre. Yeah, I don't know I, why that's so hard for people to. Because I think if you took the 2016 team and put them up against almost any of our other teams we've had, that 2016 team on a neutral field could beat – hell, I think they could beat the 2011 or the 2007 team. They're that good. It's just that sometimes you get the breaks and sometimes you don't. That Fournette ankle injury just derailed the season. Yeah, and in a weird way. We're now in you know, year two of you know, star running backs having injuries derail the season. I hope not. I mean, yeah, I'm hoping this is something that you can get over. But, man, if we have two straight years of having this level of a running back get hurt and not be able to play to his abilities, that's that's going to hurt. It's like the uh, angry, uh, angry Iowa running back hating God has moved on to LSU. It really – you know, I don't want to say it has because – you know, it's just sprains, and so like Fournette was still able to go to the pros, and it didn't really damage, and so will Geis. Um, but man, it's just—you know—you just kind of feel like you missed out on what they could have been. Yeah, and I, you I saw mean, the flashes with Fournette. You know, I mean, I know Ole Miss was like terrible, but that was just like a a show. Yeah, I mean, Fournette was a generational talent who basically lost his junior year. And still is, like, up at the top of nearly every statistical category for LSU. Yeah. I mean, but look, the same thing happened to Herschel Walker. Like, he got, you know, he hurt his knee and just, I mean, he came back and he was still really good. But he wasn't quite godlike anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, he came back and was a little bit moral. And that's, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do about that. And Geis right now seems like a mortal running back. Yep. And the thing is, is that no one has stepped up. I think for as much as we've talked about, hey, look, we have all these freshmen. They can come and they can play right away. And that's great. Outside of Greedy Williams, you know, much respect to Greedy Williams. He's just been awesome. Um, How many of the freshmen have really played great? Like how many of them have been impact players or even some of the sophomore wide receivers? You know, where are these guys? Yeah, that's that's been a very major disappointment. Early in the season. But I think, you know, again, this, they're getting their feet wet. They're learning how to play. So, a lot of them, this is the first time they're playing. So you get past, you know, the shakes, the nerves, the 
forgetting assignments because you're just like a dumb freshman out there and amped up and all that. And this team could be dangerous come late October if they can get past that stuff. Well, you know, my preseason pick was that we'd beat Alabama and lose to Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee looks a lot worse than I thought they would be. Uh, Quarterback play, I didn't think would be nearly as bad as it is. Um, But, hey, maybe it was lose to state, beat Alabama. Um, But uh, I think something you said when that there's a possibility of more variance in their play, I think is something very likely. That I, I think we're, this team seems like it's capable of higher highs. Then I think what has frustrated people is that LSU has just been five and three, five and three, five and three, five and three. I mean, this has been it, it's been a boring level of success where they haven't been hitting those highs anymore. But you know, still going five and three in the SEC every year. Um, this could be the kind of team that could pull off a big upset and then the next week, you know, yeah. drop an inexplicable game. Yeah, lose to Texas A&M. <laughs> Let's not. Yeah, I, I threw that as a joke, but uh, but this is a team that they still have a lot to play for. The season's not over. Once again, just one loss, and everybody has losses like that. I think what was concerning is that this was billed as a continuity hire, where you weren't going to have those first year wrinkles, but it seems that you just can't get away from them. Yeah, I think so too, and I mean. He is as much continuity, you know, played into it. There are changes. There are differences. The program's being run differently. There's different stuff going on. So, how much of that matters? I, I don't know yet. We'll see. I the genuine question I return to it. I know we're talented, um, but you know, being talented and being talented and fitting a style. I don't know. I, I wonder if you asked him behind closed doors if O thinks the roster is as good as we think it is. I guess that's my question. I, um, and I know I, the recruiting services think it's really good too. So I know that that's what we go off of. But it's just some of his comments are interesting in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, but also, like, he was one of the guys who helped buy the groceries. So I'm not going to. He doesn't have any. He didn't have any say in the senior class. Yeah, but he was here for the junior class. I mean, unless except for red shirts and the sophomore class, he was the recruiting coordinator. So I don't want to hear anything about that. Yeah. So, but how much is that? Is you know, what did he get final say on? I don't know. Those are things we just don't know. You know, I, ultimately, I would think Miles is the one saying we're going to take this many of this. We're going to take this many of this. If yeah, his, if his opinion diverges on those things, it it can change your roster composition quite a bit. I think so. And the thing that has killed the team has, you know, it's been the old bugaboo of just, you know, the offensive line play has LSU's offensive line has not not been as good as it has been billed to be for almost a decade now. Yeah, it's been really rough. Um. And it seemed like it had turned a corner last year where, you know, we had finally gotten back to good offensive line play and to see it regress. Really disappointing. Yeah. And by the way, just to, I guess, like contradict what I just said, if the roster doesn't have players to fit the system you want to do, you just run whatever system you have the talent for. <laughs> like that's, yeah, you run what works. And yeah. I, that's what Canada said is you can't be married to the system. But Miranda also, like, too. You know, like last year, you, you know, tried to do the 3 4 thing and was like, no, we don't have the guys. 
So look, Edo is not a guy who's known as an X's and O's expert. He should be flexible with his systems. Yep. And uh, let's just say I'm concerned on after week one, but I, I know it's just one loss. And I don't think that's that doesn't end anything. Everything's still on the table, basically. But that was about as bad of a first impression as he could have made um, in SEC play. Because I'll spot in the Louisville game. Um, but I do think the bigger problem globally with LSU is a level above Edo. I, I do think the athletic department just doesn't doesn't have a plan. And that goes across pretty much all sports. Sure. That's fair. You want to do questions? Yeah, hit me with questions. All right, let's see what we got here. I'm hoping I don't miss any. My mentions are being weird. Uh, Let me see if this is... Okay, here we go. Got them all. Okay. So, um... I think we already addressed this, but the first one was, has Mississippi State lost changed your ex- expectations for the season? What should be considered successful now? I still think it's 10 wins. Yeah. Um, I, I don't change what I think. I, we're saying fourth game, even though I didn't think State's that great of a team, they're the second or third best team on our schedule. So still got to win the games, and everything's still in play. So you can't give up on the season after that's, that's crazy talk. Yep, I agree. Ten wins, that's the baseline. I still think we can do it, too. Um, Jacob Hibbard. I'm not ready to panic with O, but if he's going to fall apart, better be sooner. Where someone like Brom or Fuentes could be grabbed, that's not really a question. Uh, it's not, but look, you get, you got to give a coach three years. Barring, like, a Bryles-like disaster or... I'm trying to just go into 0 and 8. Um, He gets three years because you hired him and you have to have confidence in your hiring decisions. Yeah. I I actually, I would be against an Orgeron hiring for a lot of reasons, but I think the biggest one is it goes to my problem with the administration. Have a, make a decision and stick with it. Have a damn plan. So I'm, so people like posting like Orgeron's buyout, that's ridiculous. It's You're three games into his tenure. Let him build his program. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think we want to go down the rabbit hole of this either, but one of the interesting things I think we'll always look back on, because we're already going to look at like Jeff Brom is kicking ass at Purdue. Okay, I'm a big Jeff Brom fan. I would have liked that higher. But when you're a high-level program like LSU – I could see why you didn't want to hire Jeff Brom, you know, like it, there wasn't a great pool last year, which I know gets back to the original thing, which is if there's not a great pool, then why are you firing your coach in the first place? Yeah, uh, that kind of gets to, but also it's like they say, oh, we want an established head coach. It's not like Armstrong was really established. No. I think that sticks in my crawl. Like, no, yeah, it, it doesn't go what he with what he said. I think what you had last year is because of the way you fired Miles, you had one of the rare opportunities of a big program like LSU to make a risky hire and have everybody on board with it. That doesn't happen that often. 
at you know schools with a football powers as big as LSU, where you could go out and get a Jeff Brom and everyone be like, all right, let's take the shot, because yeah. people were that ready for a change. So uh, I think they squandered an opportunity to make a hire like that, which I don't think will be available to them if if Orgeron goes four and four and four for the next three years, which would be bad, but at least is you know, not catastrophic and they fire him after three years. I'm doing a hypothetical here. I don't think the fan base would then be comfortable with us hiring Frank Wilson or, you know, um, you know, Jeff, even Jeff Brom, unless he, he does something amazing at Purdue. Interesting. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I think people were, this was a, a window where you could hire a guy like Brom and people would be like, all right, let's give it a shot. Yeah. I think it's just really hard to hire an established coach because those guys, uh, they don't have good jobs. They have really good jobs. So why would they leave? Yeah. So it'll be interesting. I mean, the other thing I would say is just, there's always good coaches coming up. (laughs) I agree. Don't panic about that. There's always good. There's always another coach coming up. It was, uh, it was Herman. It was Fuente. It's Jeff Brom now. It'll be, you know. There, like, there'll be another guy. Don't it'll worry. It'll be some other dude. So. Yeah. Uh, uh, is it safe to say offensive line, defensive line are most important position groups in recruiting? Yeah. I mean, O himself said that. Like, talking about going to get Juco players, which was an interesting moment of. Um, I don't know what the self-reflection, I don't know, like an interesting moment of disclosure to yeah. everyone to like openly be like, well, we're really weak right here. So um, that's pretty obvious. They struck out on some defensive line guys last year that they were trying to get and they're paying for it right now. Um, offensive line, I you know, I've written about it and I think pretty much everyone said it, but like. I think you have to take a long look at Grimes and what he's doing because it's it's just not yeah. working. It's been a long time no, now for him to have his chance, and it's it's not. Gone I'd also I'd also add wide receivers to that pool. Yeah, and this is a big wide receiver class. There's a lot of good ones, and we're in on them. So yeah, but this sophomore class that we have right now, this was supposed to be a loaded class, and these guys need to start showing up. Yeah, because it's not like they're not getting opportunity. Yeah, and I feel like still to this day that playing Gage. And maybe even Dylan ahead of them is like the they're trying to get the like light the fire under their asses. And, yeah, and I don't know if it's happening. I mean, there's been a little bit out of Sullivan, and he made a you know some nice catches, but then he, you know, draw to Brennan's first yeah. touchdown pass. You know, of, you know, so eight Heisman's is now down to six. <laughs> uh, okay, the the colonel says why 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 because 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 because. What about the fifth Y? There's five. You're not special. <laughs> <laughs> um, how quickly can O fix this in recruiting in seasons to come? And show to be serious about giving Brennan some playing time. Uh, I don't think the roster is in, like, I may think that the roster may not be isn't as good of shape as we might have thought, but it doesn't mean the roster is in bad shape. Like, there's some, we're going to have more people next year in the positions that we're struggling with this year. Like, Fihoko gets, we can use him, and we're going to bring in more defensive linemen and stuff like that. So I think the roster's not far off at all, if at all. Um, Yeah, the whole team comes back, and you'd like to see Brennan play a little bit. 
and also there does come a point if things get worse from here. Yeah, you play Brennan because the season's a loss. But look, once again, we're still looking – 10 wins still on the table. You're still competitive for things. You're, you're playing you're playing Etling because that's the team that you have. He's your guy. Yeah, I've been the biggest stumper for Brennan on the site. I'll, I'll still pump it. I think – I just feel like you treat Etling like every other player. If you're going to keep saying – Every position's up for competition, and we don't play seniority. We play the best players. Like, if Atling's going to play like trash, then he deserves to have his position I agree challenged. With that. So I, I agree with that. But I'm I'm not. Everybody played like trash. So yeah, we're not exactly. Gonna, we're not going to bench everybody. You don't, bench, um, and you don't bench them after that. Like you just don't. Yeah. But do you try to you know make a more focused effort to start getting Brennan in the game? Uh, yes. Yeah. If, with, if even for the future, yeah. yes. Yes, I agree with that. Uh. If LSU gets humiliated like that again, thanks, Vinny, for already starting us off with a horrible premise. Yeah. Uh, what movie can I switch to instead to get to watch a character or actor's career get humiliated worse? Um, Chris Farley was always good for getting humiliated. Um, so Tommy Boy, always a good option. Um, I wonder if he's meaning like a, a legitimate a actor like shitting out, like doing a terrible movie. You know, I, okay, we could do... Um, you know, who's there's some. I, I like. Uh, I think Steve Buscemi is a great actor, but he is also unfortunately friends with Adam Sandler, <laughs> and he is constantly showing up in Adam Sandler films. And you're just like, why? What are you doing? <laughs> um, but if you really want to watch someone's career go to shit, just just watch a uh, Catherine Heigl's films from start to finish, you know, in chronological order. Oh. And I think now she's doing like TV movies. And you can just watch someone get spit out of the um, movie industry. She really did. I think it's partially because, from what I've heard, she's not a very nice person. So. Yeah, man, I think I've heard that too. I'm, it, I think the fact that that rumor is out there speaks to how terrible a person she is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> uh, she's not a star for you know there to be a that rumor about yeah it looked like she was, you know you know for a minute there was like oh she might be this generation's julia roberts and then it's like no, no yeah no yeah she got booted from everything so uh you could go nick cage too but i love nick no cage. nick cage likes that kind of stuff like nick cage i i will defend nick cage movies because he is a guy who like gives full preparation to terrible movies and it's fucking great because it's like you can see his full effort and it just reflects how terrible the source material is <laughs> thereby making the movie kind of performance art so uh, just i'm a big fan of nick cage movies yeah there i guess that'd be an interesting thought of that he does his level best to Fully indicate to everyone else that it's their fault, not him. Like, yeah, it's, it's your fault. It sucks, not me. Yeah, and he's going to overact, and he's just going to go, you know, just, just full bore. There is a hundred. He's given a hundred and ten percent effort. I mean, there is, and I, God, I just love watching Nick Cage movies, particularly bad Nick Cage movies. <laughs> it, they are their own. They're their own genre. It is just great. Um, he, yeah, he will not say no to a paycheck. No, he won't. Um, does conference supremacy mean anything to you guys? No. And, yeah, me either. Um, and how would you? I I probably cared like I don't know six or seven years ago, but I'm over it. Um, and how would you rank the conferences? Um, I think the Pac-12 is the best right now. They they've really impressed me. 
Uh, they have a lot of really good teams right now. Um, the top of their conference looks good, even though Stanford really disappointing. Um, so I, right now I'd have Pac-12 at the top. Everyone else kind of is up and down all over the place. They have both their positives and their negatives. Um, I guess I'd say the Big Ten right now is number two. Um, there's some depth there. The the bottom of their conference is still horrible. But uh, um, then I'd probably put the Big 12 right now um, at number three. They're not great, but they've got – Oklahoma State looks awesome. Um, I know they haven't played anybody good, but Jesus, they're killing teams. They've got a really strong middle class, just a lot of you know good teams. The problem is they've got two of the worst teams in football in Ooh, Baylor and Kansas. So I mean, they're just awful. Um, then I'd like to put the ACC ahead of the SEC, but I won't because the SEC has kind of beaten the ACC head-to-head this year. Yeah, which I'm happy about because I want their coaches to shut the fuck up already. Yeah, so I'd put us um, – the SC West is the worst division in college football right now based on its record against Power 5 teams. So basically it's the East that's propping up the conference. Let that sink in. Um, <laughs> but the SEC is – to be honest, the SEC is probably worse than the ACC. The SEC is fucking horrible this year. I just – nobody looks any good. Um, even Bama doesn't really look like Bama. Um, no, it doesn't. Um, the ACC has got – their underbelly is way too soft. They've got too many bad teams. But the the top part of the ACC looks really good. Yeah, I, mean, see, I still think I'm curious to yeah. see how bowl season plays out. I feel like the SEC rounds into form a lot. Yeah, and like we can get better as we go along, but God, there's just outside of Bama, Georgia, maybe Mississippi State. I mean, who's the fourth best team? Vanderbilt. Seriously. <laughs> It could be Vanderbilt. They have the second biggest non-conference win, right? Yeah. Or third biggest, I guess. It's probably Auburn. It's probably Auburn, but, uh, you know, don't hold me to that. This is – the SEC is really down this year. (sighs) Yeah, it's hard to argue right now. Uh, Chad. I don't know how to say Chad's last name because I'm not a good Louisianan. But it's P-O-U-R-C-I-A-U, which is a very Louisiana name. I love the French Louisiana names. Okay. Uh, Chad wants to know, how worried should we be that people are comparing this to his days at Ole Miss? And um, there are things from the book Meat Market playing out LSU. I don't know what that means. Uh, The book Meat Market where... I know the uh, book. But I don't don't know know what's going on. The same as Meat Market. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I meant. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what he's talking about there, but... I wouldn't be too concerned because high-profile coach loses. He's going to get compared to his previous job. Like that's – Yeah. That, that's not a hard, you know, a hard comparison. And you know how you stop that comparison? You win. Yep. Yeah, I mean I, as much, I hate the callbacks to Ole Miss, but I understand that it is inevitable. Um, I mean it sucks. I don't know. We look undisciplined and that was like one of the uh, biggest things the they always complained about. That's the part that concerns me. Is it's like the knock on him is undisciplined, and then we come out undisciplined. You're like, that's the one thing you couldn't do, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, Schoon 100. Are you a Viking? Uh, does Coach O's binder address how to recover from a 30 point loss to state? That's a snarky question. Um, can we not do binder jokes for the rest of the year, please? <laughs> I mean, ah. Oh. God, I, 
I really don't want to do binder jokes for the, you know, like, it's run its course. But no, it does not. His binder doesn't. Part of the plan was not losing the state by 30 <laughs> points, I guarantee you. <laughs> um, Michael Laurent, how much and what type of bourbon should I stock for the rest of the season? That's a good question. Um, right now, since things look a little rocky, I would definitely go for quantity over quality. You know, so but you don't want to go to rot gut or anything like that. So I still think you got to stick with Maker's Mark. You know, it's pretty cost effective. You can buy a bunch of it and mix as well if you need to. But you know, you can also drink it straight without you know throwing up you know your entire lungs. I think Maker's Mark is the way to go for the rest of the season. I'm gonna say wild turkey, which. Uh just, Another just, good call. Just get the wild turkey. It's good. It's delicious. It's yeah, not, that's it's great, not expensive. Great call. But uh, yes, we're both going for volume here. Neither one yeah. of us are. This is not a, a savor it kind of year. Don't bring out the good shit. Nope. Leave that. Yeah. <laughs> leave that in the liquor closet. Um, is it okay to have an ugly cry after these losses? That was Michael's follow up question. Yes, it's okay to have an ugly cry. <laughs> uh, my wife actually threw me out of the. Uh, um, out of the den, she couldn't watch it anymore. She's just like, I am sick of watching this shit. That's actually when I tweeted out, like, maybe probably not a very, good, <laughs> maybe he's not a very good coach. Um, is that's when I had gotten thrown out of the uh, den, had to go finish watching the, the game downstairs while she watched a good football game, the Texas USC game. Uh, <laughs> oh, I was supposed to go to that game. Real disappointed about that. Oh yeah, you are. You should be disappointed about that. So I ended up, you know, watching the end of that, but. I was at a Mana concert in, in Las Vegas instead. All right. Well, I would have rather been at Texas USC. Uh, me too. Uh, but Mana's pretty cool. All right. That's it. That's the last question. All right. Not as many as I thought. I thought we'd have a lot more fury and anger, but I guess they just all called into the college show. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't get fury and anger. We tend to get, like, you know, snark. Mm. Yeah, a lot of snark. I appreciate snark. We're, we're I, I'm on board with snark, but I would say, like, don't panic yet. Um, I would, you know, I would flip to the pages about panic. I think look, looking up what bourbon you want to have is a good idea, but don't panic yet. And I think it's critical that the fan base turns out in force against Auburn. I know we're still about two weeks away from that. But that is a critical game for both the team and the fan base. Yeah, that's the, that's the type of game that, with a young team, a crowd can make a serious impact to, to yeah, encouraging this is, a victory. Yeah, they, they need you. I, I cannot stress this enough. They need you to come out, be loud, and be supportive, regardless of what happens early in the game. <laughs> because I think that's the kind of thing that's going to carry them over. Like, you want that – what's the – was it 2005 Georgia where Georgia scores the touchdown and the, you know, the crowd chanted LSU, you know, we need that. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody needs to be in on this a hundred percent. The Auburn game is just huge. Uh, not just for Edo, but for LSU and also just for the kids on the team. Like this is, you know, they're teetering on the brink right now. You need to nudge them in the right direction. Yeah, I think the, the Auburn game swings the season entirely. You win the Auburn game, you're 5-1, and one, you're one game away from bowl eligibility in the first week of October. I mean, you have building blocks to say, we're having a good season right now. 
points. And you're to about keep... to go to the toughest stretch of your schedule. Yeah. You know, it, it puts you on the right foot going into the. You know, you need that win because if you lose that, it completely changes you know the perspective on everything, and then everyone starts asking questions and whispers turn into shouts. So, yep. Really need to beat Auburn, which is great because I hate Auburn and I'm all about beating Auburn. And, it, you know, in recent history, that game has defined which direction either of those team seasons go. So it, it really has. So it's it's not like anything has changed. Nope. The Auburn game is huge. It's the one that will make a make the season or break the season in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's just bigger than it was. It's, it's you know, it, we now put an exclamation point behind the Auburn game. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and right, don't turn on your team yet. I mean, that's what you were saying, but just there's no point to like be in this gutter mindset already. Yeah, like it's not over yet, and also because we spent all of last year there, because the yeah. season was over four games in. Yep, it really was. We were two and two, and we'd fired the coach, and we were just, you know, Kicking we were playing off. out the string. Yeah. So we're not there yet. So everybody, yeah, get some bourbon, drink some bourbon celebratory this weekend. We're going to beat some oranges. <laughs> and, you know, look, Syracuse is good people. So, like, you know, enjoy, invite them to your tailgate and have fun this weekend. Yeah, Syracuse is collectively like ready for their beatdown. I think coaching staff included. Yeah, the, you know, I think they lost the Middle Tennessee State. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good in Syracuse yeah. right now. So, yeah, so this is kind of what the doctor ordered, though I would like to – I wish we didn't have the Troy game. I wish we went Syracuse to Auburn. But It's a, it's a good hangover game. We get a little uh, palate cleanser. Yeah. and Tune up, I guess. Yeah, we, we need this again. You know, the defense needs to get its confidence back. Offense needs to put up some points. Get some guys healthy. And, you know, someone on that, you know, some of those sophomore receivers, someone step up. Please, make a play. Yeah, exactly. 